Welcome to Anchored, a podcast brought to you by The Word Unleashed, the preaching and teaching ministry of Tom Pennington. For more of Tom's content or to connect with us, visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org. Now here's Tom exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. One of the mysteries of our world and of our lives as believers is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, let me make an important distinction for you. A mystery is not a contradiction. At some point, I'm going to talk about the fact that the Trinity and the doctrine of the Trinity is not a contradiction. It's not a breach of the law of logic. We can understand certain things about the Trinity, and what we can understand makes it obvious that it is not nonsensical. It is reasonable. However, that's as far as we can go, and what goes from there is mystery, and we will never grasp the reality of it, not even in heaven. As I've reminded you before, we will still be finite in heaven. We'll be perfect finite creatures, but we will be finite creatures and we will never be able to put our arms around all that is God. We will still understand, back to that illustration I gave you of an infinite cube, our understanding will still be a tiny little blip, a tiny little dot on one surface of that infinite cube. Although the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity is clearly taught in the Scripture, and you know this, but the word Trinity does not occur And no verse or passage precisely states its truth. That have led some to deny it. Still, it has been almost universally embraced by all those who call themselves Christians. Wayne Grudem writes in his his, uh, theology about one group that denies the Trinity, and he says this, because of its denial of the three distinct persons in God, this particular denomination should not be considered to be evangelical, and it is doubtful whether it should be considered genuinely Christian at all, end quote. That has always been the perspective about those who deny the Trinity. Now, how do we get then, if there is no one text, no one verse that states the Trinity, how do we get there? Well, essentially, we get there through some clear sets of biblical data. Let me tell you what they are. Three suppositions that rise out of the Scripture. They're not presuppositions. Okay, It's not like we're making them up. They are suppositions or propositions, we could say, that grow out of the biblical data. And when you look at these, you have to conclude the doctrine of the Trinity. First of all, God is one. And we're going to look at these in some detail tonight and next week, Lord willing. God is one. Secondly, Christ is God. Thirdly, Christ is distinct from the Father. Now, you could substitute the Holy Spirit for the word Christ in here, and you could make the same arguments, but it's typically made with the person of Christ. Now, if you look at those for a moment, you begin to realize that the scriptural data, if these in fact reflect the scriptural data, and I will show you that they do as we go along over the next uh, few minutes, but if the scriptural data support these, then immediately you're faced with trying to reconcile these. The doctrine of the Trinity is a logical attempt 
to systematize these three suppositions. They're put sometimes differently. Another form is this. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is only one God. Again, the biblical data support those three propositions. But immediately, when you look at those propositions, you realize they cannot be easily reconciled. Either way you put it, these propositions form the basis for the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity. So, with that in mind, let's look, let's begin to look at the Trinity defined. First of all, we need to examine what it is not. I, I love to do what a man I respect deeply does. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I should say did, although he may do it still, but But um, what he did, and that is, he would start with, before we talk about this, let's talk about what it is not. You know, there's, there's a real value in that, because it kind of removes the rubble from our minds and allows us to build on fresh ground. So what is it not? And let me tell you, before we look at these, that Many evangelicals, perhaps some of you sitting here, have been influenced by various writings and bought in, in your mind, to a variation of these heresies, really. Okay? So pay close attention and make sure that your own perception of the nature of the Trinity doesn't fit in one of these boxes, because they're not boxes you want on your shelf. Three common deviations. The first is tritheism. You recognize the word theism, theos for God, tri, meaning three. Basically, this view says that there are three gods. This heresy teaches that the Trinity is composed of three separate gods. Now, fortunately, this one has really never been held widely. It has not been taught, either in the past or today. There have been various groups, but very seldom. The more dangerous problem is for us as evangelical Christians to sort of think this way. Because we want to embrace the point of three persons, it's easy for us to sort of fall off the wagon on the side of thinking about God as three separate gods. No, our God is one in three persons. So tritheism is is one problem. The next two were... The next one, I should say, is one where many Christians are influenced. There aren't many groups that hold this in reality, but some Christians kind of get this in their mind. It's called modalism. It's also called Sabellianism, after Sibelius, one of the famous holders of it. And it's also called, and you don't need to write this one down, modalistic monarchianism. What does it mean? Well, basically... This is a heresy as well, condemned in the 4th century, I believe it was. This heresy teaches that there is only one God who assumes three different roles or modes. Let me give you an example. They would say, well, you know, it's like this. Take a man. Take me, for example. I am one person, one entity, but I can wear three different hats. I can be a husband, for example. I can also be a father, and I can be a son at the same time. So when the Scripture talks about 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's not talking about three different persons in one God. Instead, it's talking about three different modes of God, or God, the same God, the same person, wearing three different hats. Or maybe another way to put it is looking at God from three different angles. If you look from one angle, he looks like a father. If you look at him from another angle, he looks like the son. If you look at him from another angle, he looks like the spirit. Today, there's only one denomination that holds this view. It's called the United Pentecostals. It's also called the Jesus-only Pentecostals or the Oneness Pentecostals. The most famous Oneness Pentecostal is someone you see on your television, or you may, if you're like me and have a morbid interest in, in um, Trinity Broadcasting Network. Um, it's like a train wreck, you know? I don't want to look, but I want to look. It's... But the most famous of these is T.D. Jakes, who, uh, last I read and heard, continued to embrace oneness Pentecostalism. The third heresy, wrong way of perceiving the Trinity, is what's called subordinationism. Subordinationism. Also, sometimes it's called Arianism because Arius was one of the famous holders of this view. This heresy denies the deity of Jesus Christ. Basically, it it says, okay, we can't resolve this issue. So, we know there's only one God, and yet we know Christ and the Holy Spirit are mentioned. They're in Scripture. So, how do we reconcile this? Well, let's just say that God the Father is the only one who is, in essence, God, and let's make Jesus and the Holy Spirit created beings who, who do not share all of the divine attributes and who are created and therefore subordinate. Arius is the one who really came up with this view. Arius was the bishop of Alexandria. He died in 33, excuse me, 336 A.D. He taught that God the Son was at one point created by God the Father. And that before that time, the Son did not exist, nor did the Holy Spirit, but the Father only. The Son existed before the rest of creation, and He's far greater than the rest of creation, but He's still not equal to the Father in all His attributes. Basically, how did they come up with this view? Well, again, Arius was motivated, I think, as best we can know today, he was motivated by a desire to reconcile these issues of how do you say there is one God and yet there are these three persons. His solution was simply to make Jesus and the Holy Spirit less than the essence of God. He argued from several different kinds of texts. He argued from those texts that talk about Christ being the only begotten Son, like John 3.16, for example. And he said, see, that whole issue of Son and begotten must mean that Jesus had a beginning. He must have been created. He also argued from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where it says Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Of course, we know that word prototokos can also mean the preeminent one, as it's used back in the Psalms. We'll get there when we get to Christ. But basically, his views were condemned at the Council of Nicaea in A.D. 335. What group today embraces subordinationism or Arianism? The Jehovah's Witnesses. They come to your door... 
and I'm, I'm sorry if they do, unless you have plenty of time to evangelize. But apart from that, they're going to come to your door with a view that, like this of the Trinity. So, with that in mind, take a look at your own view of the Trinity and make sure that it's not tainted in some small way by one of these heresies. Primarily, modalism would be the one that influences most evangelical Christians, I think. A sort of skewed view of the Trinity. That it's one person simply putting on different hats. No, the Scriptures teach that God is one, but He is three persons. And we'll talk about what that means next in detail. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Anchored Podcast. If you'd like to access additional content from Tom, or if you're interested in partnering with The Word Unleashed, please visit our website at www.thewordunleashed.org and be sure to connect with us on social media. We look forward to studying God's Word together with you on the next episode of Anchored.